Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 54th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that loves finding gold at the end of the Pro Tour rainbow. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some information with everybody. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. All right, Travis, what's on the agenda this week? Well, this week we have a show in four parts. Segment one is our top movers. We'll look at the cards that have moved the most over the last week. We got a couple from the Pro Tour. Uh, segment two is our cards to watch. James and I are going to look at some of the cards we expect to rise in price. Excuse me. Segment three is our metagame week in review. We're going to cover Pro Tour Dublin, uh, or I guess Pro Tour Aether Revolt, that just transpired this past weekend. And segment four, we'll touch on a few a uh, few topics. Um, we might briefly talk about MTGO, uh, possibly some European stuff, and maybe some Modern Masters 2017 predictions, because that is... Uh, much closer on the horizon than than a lot of people realize, I think, uh, us especially. Um, <clears throat> so we will start off here in segment one, top movers. Uh, the first card wasn't the largest percentage gain, but was definitely, I think, one of the most noticeable changes after the Pro Tour. And that's Heart of Kirin from Aether Revolt. This is the two mana 4-4 vehicle that you can crew with Planeswalker loyalty. Uh, both foil and non-foil copies moved, but the non-foils jumped from about 15 maybe a little below that, to $25. That price has come down a little bit since then. Um, but it, it quite, quite a big movement on a, on a banner mythic. Um, so, you know, if you had picked any of these up before the Pro Tour and you managed to get them on... Uh, TCG player eBay by late Saturday, you probably did pretty well. Um, I, I yeah, didn't have any of them. Buying was a lie for me. Yeah, I mean, the, when I first saw this vehicle, I said, hey, this card looks powerful. Um, but it was legendary. So I thought, you know, maybe it'll be a one or a two of, and this was before Smuggler's Copper got banned, and then it was banned, and then it wasn't clear that Martyr Vehicles was even a deck because the first two big tournaments of Star City Games, it was only a minor presence, uh, and the final form of the deck as it appeared at the Pro Tour last weekend, um, had not really reared its head. Um, the whether that was because involved players were sandbagging the deck or because they only came to the conclusions they did as they were testing um, is unclear. But now we're, you know, set up in a, a metagame where, you know, this is can almost be looked at as the card to beat. Yeah, it is. It is real powerful. Uh, that and Aethersphere Harvester were the two vehicles that really came out in force, although Aethersphere didn't see as much of a price movement. Um, I could see these kind of these two and maybe some other vehicles kind of changing positions over the course of, uh, over the course of standard, depending on what the metagame asks for. Um, but you know, time will tell, uh, what's our, uh, what's our next card, James? So our next one is a reserveless card. This is a uh, memory jar, uh, foils moving from $28 to $58. Uh, it's a $30 change, almost a hundred percent. Definitely a low, one of the many low supply, uh, reserveless buyouts, um, or people mopping up uh, last available copies from various online sources um, as the slow, inevitable march to uh, moving the plateau bar for pretty much everything on the reserve list um, up steadily uh, grinds its gears along the, the road of nastiness. Mm-hmm. I'm, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. Up. That was crazy. I'm going to go back on that. Okay. So next on our list, we have Memory Jar uh, from Urza's Legacy. This is the foils we're talking about, moving from $28 to $58 for a $30 change. That's about 100%, uh, definitely on low supply. One of many reserve list cards to be bought out. Um, if you've never played with this card, it is completely busted, hence why it's banned in pretty much every format you might want to play it in. Um, it's a five mana artifact that lets you, um, put aside everybody's hand. Everybody draws seven new cards and then you discard them at the end of the turn and get your old hand back. That sets up all sorts of combo tastic craziness. Um, so it's, it's my, the kind of thing that shows up in cubes. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's legal in EDH. Um, but, I think it uh, is. Yeah. We talked about this before. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, 
marginal play patterns, uh, more of a collector's piece from a nostalgic piece of a period of magic history than anything else. Um, but if you're sitting on a couple of copies, fantastic for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next card, uh, Sinbad from Arabian Nights started at three and changed up to about seven for about a double up. I mean, this is just another reserve list, right? It is reserve list, isn't it? Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, pretty sure. Wait, wait. Or is that just the first oh, printing? Sinbad. Uh, no, this isn't. No, it's just the Arabian Nights one. I'm sorry. This yeah, is so not there. I think it was reprinted. List is so all over the place. It's hard to keep track of which ones are and aren't. I think that it was reprinted in fourth or fifth edition, if I'm not mistaken. Fourth and then time shifted, actually. Huh. Yeah, yeah. so this this is just the the original Black Border stuff that people are, are picking up. Um, I don't think this really sees any play in old school. Um, so this is really just about people cleaning up, mopping up, uh, based on whatever spreadsheet they've got that they're using to track uh, the available inventory for all of these first printing Black Border cards. Boy, you're giving people a lot of credit with that. <laughs> <laughs> spreadsheets and thinking about it. No, they went, Oh, this card is old and the Arabian nights. I'm just going to buy these. Uh, um, I mean, I have no direct evidence, but I suspect that there is a relatively small group of people, not all, all in league with each other or anything, but have, that have the same idea and have made some money off, uh, you know, cards from the first few years of magic by picking up, you know, when the inventory is low, cleaning out the remaining copies. And I, if I was doing that, I would at least have some kind of basic spreadsheet going. Yeah. 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 You would think. Um, all right. What do you got for us? So next on the list was Scrap Heap Scrounger, which was uh, far and away the card of the tournament. Uh, even if Heart of Kieran is the card to beat, Scrap Heap Scrounger is the most ubiquitous uh, card in the top eight of the tournament anyway, with 31 of a possible 32 copies across three different deck types. Um, the fact that this is just a recursive threat that uh, in any aggro deck uh, allows you to... Uh, basically remove other creatures that have died from your graveyard to put this back on the table and keep presenting threats has proven to be extremely powerful in this format. Um, And it was front and center as a four of in almost every version of the Marduk Vehicles deck that was on camera. Um, Shows up in the green-black decks as well um, and in some of the configurations um, and was also central to the Jund uh, aggro energy plan that uh, Martin Yuza was running this weekend uh, into a top eight finish. Yeah, this card has really uh, seen an impressive amount of play, all things considered. It's even shown up quite a bit in Modern in the Dredge deck that was doing really well. Um, it really just, I guess, a lot more play than we realized. Uh, so, you know, I don't know how much higher the price can really climb. You know, we're already at about $5. Uh, there's a lot of competition in this set. But, you know, if Walking Ballista doesn't really go too much further and Scrap Heap keeps seeing play, I guess that could climb into the $10 slot, especially with modern applications. I, I'm so skeptical about rares hitting $10 for any amount of time at this point. The, I mean, the EV that's drained out of the set by the Masterpieces and... Um, a lot of the value being stuck in uh, a variety of mythics and uncommons um, from relevant sets seems to be like holding rares back overall. The Even Scrap Heap Scrounger, which is undeniably the most played card in the format and one of the most important across uh, you know multiple archetypes, which is certainly something you want to be looking for when you're trying to figure out what could possibly hit that $10 high as a rare. Um, I mean, this has already backslid a little under $4. There's copies for like 350 on TCG Player, and the inventory is relatively deep for something that's this important right now. Right. I I mean, I agree with you that it's a long shot for a card like this to climb that much. Um, you know, I'm just kind of thinking over a sustained demand over a couple months. If it's in two of the three best standard decks over and over and over again, and it's you know showing up in modern, then then maybe and you know it wouldn't be a permanent price fixture. But again, I kind of look at there's always one rare in these sets, right? Like there was Smuggler's Copter before, and uh, you know I'm blanking on what's come in the past, but there's always there's always something. Um, okay, oh, yeah. but let's move H- on. Hanger Backwalker oh. was the other example. Yeah, Hanger Backwalker. Yeah, and and certainly, uh, I mean. A lot of the time, it's been colorless cards that are flexible on the on the curve. Um, Scrappy Scrounger requires black mana, so it's a it's a little limited. But uh, color fixing is is you know reasonably okay in this format, and people are running three color decks um, to great success. So, um, and and black seems to be <laughs> a pretty central color because that gives you fatal push. Um, all of which you know might make Scrounger similar to a colorless card. Um, it's really going to, I think what a lot of this depends on is actually not so much is Scrounger going to stay good in the format, because it probably will. 
Um, I think it's more about is standard something people are playing? Um, you know, uh, we've seen a lot of evidence over the last six months that uh, uh, LGSs have been struggling to pull people in for standard. Um, concerns about uh, Emmercool, concerns about Etherworks Marvel, um, concerns about, you know, the whiplash effect of saying that standard was going to be 18 months and then changing it back to 24. And have we really like blown past the complications that, or, you know, the the people that opted out of standard as a result of that process um, and are now behind uh, the times in terms of having a current collection and so might be, you know, held back from getting back into their Friday night magic sessions. And all of that adds up to me just feeling very dubious about uh, standard rare um, specs at this point, uh, especially when we've got so many other better options in MTG finance right now. Sure, sure. I mean, the fact that there's greener pastures elsewhere is definitely uh, <clears throat> reason enough to kind of not worry too much about it. And um, I mean, I, I think you're right. If if the play pa- if standard recovers or is recovering, and the play pattern for the card stays consistently high, then inventory will get drained um, as more and more people fit this card into their their decks, and because it can f- fit in multiple shells, that's a, a good indicator. Um, the inventory is not tremendously deep for a fall set rare, um, something like 70 uh, results on TCG, which sounds like a lot, but isn't a lot in the grand scheme of things. And the real problem is this, so far, the price spike that it got off the Pro Tour, which can often be, you know, the the best uh, opportunity to get in and get out, even if you got in at $1.50, you probably didn't get in over three fifty after fees and time spent and so forth. So then, you know, per place that you're making like maybe six to eight bucks if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's. Yeah. Sorry. So, go ahead. No, it's just. And so and therefore that probably isn't something to be chasing. No, 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 no. I'm not uh, not advocating that. Um Okay, so next up, sleight of hand, seventh edition foils, thirty to ninety-five, whatever. There's zero copies. They sold out again. Somebody relisted it at a stupid price. Probably <laughs> not much. I don't think there's much else to say here. We we go through these pretty frequently. Got anything? Yeah, no sleight of hand, whatever. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, also, so Esper Charm uh, from Shards of Alara, another foil, showing from six fifty to thirty. Uh, the foil specifically. Um, this is an uncommon from Shards of Alara. Esper Charm was what target player discards to you draw to or the destroying third one destroying enchantment. Um, okay, so I'm looking on TCG Player. There's only one near mint foil, which is probably where that thirty dollars is coming from. Uh, but there's no other near mint foils. Uh, I believe this is on the back of Fatal Push being printed. People thinking that uh, basically instead of having run Jeskai, uh, you might now be able to run Esper, um, ditch the red and lightning bolt and pick up the black in Esper Charm and, and whatever else black brings you. Uh, red tends to be a, a under, I guess, a, a the least played color in Jeskai builds. You know, it's lightning bolt and maybe a couple other odds and ends. Um, so maybe black is going to have some other tools that the decks may want. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, I'm guessing this was pretty targeted. Uh, what have you? What are you thinking? Well, I, I love the fact that at an uncommon from the Alara block is up to like four dollars um, in the non-foil versions. Uh, that's pretty hot. Uh, anybody who's got bulk lying around is probably doing a little dance. Um, and it, you're right; it is the Esper uh, control decks that have been showing up on Magic Online that's probably pushing most of this action. I mean, they're running four Liliana the Veil, two Narset tra- Transcendent, which is part of why that card's been on the move. Um, a Soren sometimes, Snapcaster Mages, and Tassiger. Fatal Push, Inquisition, Path to Exile, Serum Visions, Thoughtseize, Collective Brutality, uh, a couple of Esper Charms, um, Lingering Souls, and Supreme Verdict, and then Creeping Tar Pits and uh, Shambling Vents, you know, gives you a pretty classic-looking control shell that gives you access to counter magic out of the board in case you're trying to deal with combo decks, um, gives you a lot of good answers early. Um, between Path to Exile and Fatal Push, you know, being able to handle, uh, you know, trade uh, at minimum evenly against their threats and potentially be up mana and tempo by playing two cards in a turn, you know, counter something, kill your creature on the attack, um, really opens up the gates for people to explore this arch- archetype and to try to bring it to the forefront. Um, there's been several 5-0 decks uh, in a couple of different configurations on Magic Online. Um, so this could be a thing. 
I mean, it's certainly a useful card. Uh, I mean, draw two and discard are both pretty generically useful. They're, they don't seem uh, specific to any archetype, you know, in, in a way that other charms might be. Um, the Destroying Enchantment's pretty narrow, but I guess that's useful to have sort of as an escape clause. Sometimes you find yourself uh, without a lot of options for random permanence in modern. Um, you know, I remember resolving Seismic Assault here and there, and people had no chance of result of removing it in a couple of handful of games. So just that having that, that back door is useful. Um, One of the things to consider here is whether or not um, the color fixing ends up being good in modern masters 2017 and whether the charm series from Alara block makes it in there. Um, you know, I don't think it would have been a high priority for them, but it's certainly a, a easy slot in if it's, if it's a set that is distinctive because, because of its color fixing, which would make it, uh, somewhat distinctive versus the first two Modern Masters editions. Um, in which case, there's no way this thing stays at $4. It drops back down to like 50 cents. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Uh, okay. Last one. You want to give us the last one? Sigil of Distinction, um, yet another card moving on the back of Cheerios decks, um, being tested and tested and tested by streamers and, uh, article writers, pros, and all sorts of people fooling around trying to make these decks work. Um, and I've seen very mixed results from, uh, the streams that I've watched where these decks have been played. Um, Sigil of Distinction gives them a new line of attack. I believe it's mostly in the mentor based versions of the deck. Um, because this is a zero, uh, an art- yet another artifact that you can put into play for zero, right? And it says, uh, comes into play with X charge counters on it. Equipped cre- creature gets plus one, plus one for each charge counter on Sigil of Distinction. You can remove a charge counter from it to equip it to a creature. So you can work it up the curve if you want to, and you can just keep putting it into play for zero as part of your Cheerios build. And if you can afford to put more counters on it later, then maybe it makes some creature that you've managed to get into play uh, a potent threat. And that might be a little better than a bunch of the do-nothing zero-casting-cast ca- artifacts you were using instead. Uh, I, as someone who played the deck, I absolutely never cast this for anything other than zero. Are people doing that on stream? I, I've seen people, yeah, I mean, late in the game where they've run out of gas, yeah, <laughs> as, a ba- as a desperate backup plan. Oh, that's got to be... <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess I attacked people to death occasionally with a pure steel paladin with like eight quarter shields on it. So worse things could. <laughs> I guess this is better than that. This is really wild to see this move in price. I mean, this was just total bulk prior to this. Uh, anyone who's got piles of bulk rare sitting around must be yeah. digging through the artifacts to try and find these. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I don't even think I have any of these lying around. This is uh, totally outside. And and a lot of the decks don't even run it. Like, most of them are running just the equipment packages of a quarter shield, bone saw, cathar shield, mox opal, kite shield, paradise mantle, and spider silk net. So um, it's not necessarily an auto-include for these decks, um, although it seems like a strict upgrade to some of those. Yeah, I... Uh... Well, yeah, a quarter shield is nice because you can drop it and just equip it and give them the extra toughness against lightning bolts and stuff that your opponent may draw. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, I mean, this deck is real, too. I have been selling a playset of Retract basically on average every day at 60 bucks a set, uh, which is just mind-blowing to me. Um, but there's real demand for this deck. Uh, so, you know, whether the deck is really great or not and it per- and it sustains is is a whole other question. But at the very least, people sure want to play it. So uh, I'm happy to be ditching my cards for this now uh, before reality sets in here. Yeah, and Retract is a reprintable card. So um, yeah, yeah, no reason to be hanging on when the getting, you know, you can get out uh, happily at this point. For sure. Um, okay, let's move into uh, segment two. Uh, you want to get us started off? Sure. So the other janky thing going on from Aether Revolt that people are fooling around with is trying to make the expertise cards work with all of the split cards, doing things like casting Carrie Zev's expertise into Beck and Call, which was something Caleb Durward was doing on his stream the other night. Um, the deck he, he came up with was atrociously bad, one of the worst I've ever seen played on stream by anybody. Um, I think it ended up as a Channel Fireball article. Um, and, uh, it definitely did not look like the configuration that people would end up running, but Kerry Zev's expertise foils are available for $3. And my thinking is that at some point down the line, the cheapest expertise will 
end up having some kind of broken thing it can do that people um, put on camera one day and the card spikes from $3 to $10. Um, otherwise, it's just a bad threat and effect. Um, my confidence level on this would only be a 6, maybe a 7, um, because you're just banking on the open-ended synergy of casting free spells, um, which will probably pay off at some point in the future, but it's unclear whether you're holding that for 6 months or 6 years. Sure. I am a big fan of the cast spells for free with these expertises. Uh, somebody who owns a zillion restore balances, let's hope so. Um, I did see a, a fun little <clears throat> synergy with Kari Zebs, especially because this is a threatened one. Um, you know, and the, you play Forbidden Orchard in the deck for the situations where your opponent doesn't have a creature. Um, or if you've got other things to do with it, you give them the creature and then you carry Zeb it back and then you can sack it to your Gargadon or whatever else you want to do with it. But it's an amusing <laughs> little backup plan. Like if you're playing against control decks that don't give you any targets. Yeah, that's cute. Um, I had a deck that I built like that where I was using Forbidden Orchard on things like Hunted Horror. Hunted Horror is the Ravnica block 7-7 seven, seven Trample, I believe, for two black, but they get two 3-3 three, three green creatures with pro black. Um and you just basically use Echoing Truth and other stuff to just keep bouncing the tokens and swinging in with your giant stuff. Right, right. Ultra uh, janky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so my first card this week is Astral Cornucopia Foils. Um, looking at a very long term, these are from Born of the Gods. This was just reprinted in uh, Commander 2016. Uh, plays extremely well with Atraxa, which is currently... Uh, let me double check here. The most built deck on EDH rec of all time, uh, by, uh, 33% more than the next highest, which is Aloro. There are 1500 Aloro decks and over 2000 Atraxa decks. Wow. So, um, there's, yeah, pretty wild. There's already a huge demand for Atraxa. Any deck that adds counters to stuff wants it, um, it, or generates huge amounts of mod, like untapped artifacts. It just, it, it works in a lot of places. Uh, so the non-foils crashed after Commander 2016, um, right when it was kind of getting interesting to consider, but the foils still haven't really gone very far yet. Um, you know, they're around available in the $2 range, uh, two to two fifty range, I think, uh, which is a pretty, pretty good price for this type of thing. Uh, and there was no foil reprint and they could reprint this again, next commander set. And they're still not going to be, um, any foil copies floating around there. So, you know, we've got less than a page of, co of foil copies on TCG player, no foil reprints in sight. Uh, a major part of one of the most pop of the most popular EDH deck in existence um you know it's in 66 percent of those decks i think that this is at least a ten dollar foil down the road uh you know you look at something like coalition relic for a comparison and you can see what the the high end of this is and this is from born of the gods like that was not a very popular set and it was a couple years ago now um and, and the ev in that set is so low nobody's gonna go cracking boxes trying to track down this foil <laughs> Yeah, really. Like, how expensive would this foil have to be in order to make it worth cracking those boxes? Yeah, that would not be... happening. Not happening. No, no. So uh, I think this is a pretty, pretty solid choice here. I I agree. Um, not only is inventory trending low, um, but as you said, Atraxa has put so much juice into the EDH community. Like, talk about a, an invigoration of an already productive community that was vibrant and and you know one of the most important in magic we've seen tons of edh spikes since commander 2016 um there's a reason for that people loved the set they love that deck in particular bray is also excellent um and the rest are nothing to throw shade at and the result is that that community is brewing like crazy um you have to think if you're over at wizards you should be looking at those sales patterns and thinking to yourself um you know maybe we should spend a little more time on you know fine-tuning the commanders that 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 we release every year so that they're they try they try to approximate this level of hype yeah that would be nice uh of course if they do that then there's not one commander that just drives one or two cards absolutely or you know one set of cards absolutely wild and makes you a ton of money it's almost better for us if there's one one good deck, because it means the cards in that are going to go haywire because everybody's going to want that deck. Fully agree on why it's better for us, but from the perspective of them, <clears throat> the, one of the here's the thing: Commander 2016 has infamously been underprinted in the first run, and they haven't released a statement as to whether or not another wave is coming. And the last time when we had Commander 2013 and True Name Nemesis was a big deal and spiked hard, 
they ended up putting two copies of the True Name Nemesis deck into the the cases that they sold dealers at that following summer. So uh, I'm not going super deep on Atraxa right now. Um, I've got some copies I picked up in Europe at an attractive price, but I'm looking to out them in the next 30 days because I'm worried that there is in fact going to they are going to ship this product again um, because the demand level is so high. And it's certainly better for them if the dealers can sell through a whole case, because the problem with this product over time has always been that a couple of the decks are in high demand, the other ones rot on the shelf, you can only order them by the case, and and because of that, dealers are scared off from ordering more cases. If you could get, say, four or five of the decks in, you know, moderately high demand, and they were selling, then they're going to push it, they're going to be able to print a lot more of it, the sales will be higher overall, and they'll still get absorbed in the community. Sure, right, right, yeah, I, I agree with all that, um... Would be better in general, but uh, okay. So anyway, what is back, your next card? So, hold on, back, I'm not done even done oh. with your card. That was all just the oh, circumspect, right. the circumspect side analysis. So all right. the the funny thing about this card is that I it's one of my worst specs ever. I, I bought a bunch of these foils <laughs> back during Theros block, and I don't even remember why, but I'm sure whatever the reason was, it was terrible. Um, I I think it was something along the lines of they hardly ever print scalable mana rocks. Um, and, and, and true enough, we haven't seen, you know, any other ones of, that are anything like this since then. Um, you know, the closest mana rock of any significance is probably something like Hedron Archive. Um, you know, the ability in, in EDH to be able to sack and draw two cards in the mid game or whatever. Um, but the, you know, this being in low inventory and being scalable and working with Atraxa all makes it attractive. I have a pile of them. I would love to see this hit $10. Um, and I think we can get there. All right, I'm glad to hear I've got your support. Yep. Now I should actually listen to myself and buy some of these instead of <laughs> you really uh, should. wring my hands in three weeks. <laughs> like, well, they're twelve dollars, and I didn't buy any because I'm a moron. Well, I mean, here's the thing: we, you and I keep coming up with these great little small ball ideas, but the reality is that, as we're going to talk about in a, in a bit, the the European arbitrage on uh, more expensive cards is so attractive that we, maybe we shouldn't be wasting our time. Um, yeah. But since we know a lot of our, our viewers uh, are not going to put the effort in to deal with Europe, then uh, I guess these are all still valid. Uh, including my next pick, which is Beral, Chief of Compliance out of Either Revolt. Specifically, I'm looking at the foils. Um, I have a confidence level of the, on this is of about 8 uh, for the long term. Um, they're currently available in the $8 range. I started buying some the other day at around 6 Um There seems to be pretty strong demand because it's already moved up 2 bucks um, since I, I started packing away some sets. Um, sell target on these would be like $20. The, the story here, um, is that this is a potential modern legacy storm card. This gives you like Goblin Electromancer 5 through 8, uh, if you want it. John Finkel was fooling around with it on stream the other night. Um, and it's a, a potential EDH general because it, uh, if you want to run a, a spells, uh, based deck with instants and sorceries, this gives you, uh, that, sa- that effect all the time, all the way through the game in a way that Electromancer doesn't because it's not a legendary creature and it can't be your general. Um, and the fact that anything you counter lets you loot, um, is, uh, makes counter spells more attractive for EDH because they actually, um, potentially help you filter through your deck and find solutions for problems. Yeah, this card is is really interesting. Um, it's it's very powerful. I'm kind of surprised that it's as expensive as it is, which just goes to show there's apparently some real demand to this. Um, so this could this could quietly sink up into the twenty dollar range for sure. Uh, it just there are not a lot of cost reduction effects out there, and as soon as you find one that's reasonable, um, you know, th- th- there's a fine line between like cloud key and very playable uh and brawl may <laughs> fall on the good side of that sure sure yeah i mean and there really aren't that many results i mean one thing to keep in mind we're not at peak supply yet so if it takes off uh if the demand kicks in you know now ish then you want to get in now because it could move up into the 10 to 14 dollar range in a hurry if you believe that it's going to keep sinking as we head towards peak supply, which we are not at yet, we need to be like two to four weeks uh, further down the road before the, the you're going to see the prices for this set get depressed. And there might be some cool sales in the early summer during you know the summer lulls um, that might make these kind of cards more attractive. And certainly, as a whole, Ed Revolt has a ton of janky cards that are going to keep falling off a cliff price-wise um, and be worth stocking away as we get uh, deeper into the year. But all of that being said, I think that even if you get a chance of these at five or six dollars again, a little further down the road, you're not going to feel too bad about dollar cost averaging over the course of whatever that fluctuation is uh, in the first and second quarter of 2017. Right, right. Um, 
Okay. My next card uh, is Crystalline Crawler. I'm on the Monorock plan this week. Um, this one was also in Commander 16, like Astral Cornucopia, but this was the first printing of that card. This is a four mana. Oh, wait, hold on. I forgot to look it up. Is it a one, one? Yeah, it's a one, one. Yeah. Four mana, one, one that basically, uh, essentially taps for a mana every turn, any color mana every turn. Um, it's kind of like a birds of paradise, but, uh, it comes into play with counters on it. So if you can, um, start proliferating, you can make a lot of counters of mana, a lot of mana really quickly with this, uh, which is obviously really good if you have a mana rock that can generate you, th- you know, three mana of any color a turn or something like that. So this is only printed in Commander 2016. That's the key, uh, key thing to remember here. Supply on this is also on the lower side, um, less than a page on TCG player. Most of the copies are in the 250 range. Uh, they sneak up into th- the $3, uh, but this is a card that I think is going to disappear uh, in the next, I don't know, two weeks to three months, uh, and it'll be five or six bucks all of a sudden, and then it will just slowly creep up over time because it's a, again, it's all over tracks. So it's a powerful card in any deck that makes multiple colors of mana, plays really well with counters, uh, works with doubling season, mind you, because it's a creature, um, just does a lot for you, and it's only in a, in, only in a commander set. Uh, which is really low supply relative to lots of other stuff. Yeah. So the thing here is that it's got the same potential problem that Atraxa herself does, which is that if they go ahead and throw a bunch more cases through the distribution network and they start showing up at LGSs, then the price on all of this stuff, including uh, Curtain's Call, et cetera, all the other spikes from 2016, is going to collapse um, uh, as people get their hands on more copies and, and dealers bother to break down some decks and sell the singles. Um, but I really like this for the long term regardless because um, the specific text on it is that it has Converge, which means it enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each color of mana spent to cast it. So if you're in a tracks of colors and you've got all four, then you're casting it as a four four. As you said, you can pull the counters off to make mana. You can tap it to put a counter on it. So if you've got Hardened Scales out or a Doubling Season, um, then you know this thing comes in under a doubling season with eight counters on it and then potentially uh can like double your mana pool for that turn i guess um if you want to remove all the counters every time you tap it you're getting two counters after that i mean i can see how that's pretty gross and you're right the inventory is relatively low just as it was with curtains call um and deep close gate so this could easily uh pop off and end up in the five to six dollar range i want to build an edh deck that's just Hardened Scales, Winding Constrictor, Doubling Season, uh, Primal Order, and like Crystalline Crawler. Uh, that's, that's all it is. Yeah. Just a ton of counters, and then it doesn't do anything. <laughs> Pr- primal Vigor, right? Yeah, Primal, primal Vigor. Primal Vigor, what did I say? Yeah. Primal Order. Uh, yeah. But, I, I mean, you and everybody else, right? Like, isn't that isn't that the like the base the base action for Atraxa? Uh, if you're not going Oops. the Planeswalker route? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's then that's what it is. Is you know, it's so easy to sit in front of your computer screen and go, boy, if I had Dublin season to play, this would be lunacy. Which is why <laughs> Dublin season is like a seventy dollar card now. Uh, mm-hmm. so, speaking of which, uh, did we get that in Modern Masters twenty thirteen or fifteen? Uh was that was just the first one, I believe. I think you're right, uh, and I think yeah, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Um, so my last pick of the week is Aetherworks Marvel, um, which I think I touched on last week before the Pro Tour. Um, but now that it's down in the like $3.50 range or like $12 to $13 a playset if you're poking around, um, my confidence level on this is relatively high. This could easily end up being a mythic that just fades from memory and standard and never gets good again. Or any time in the next three or four sets, this could suddenly pop off as the be- the deck to beat all over again. Um, I've talked before about how we're almost certainly getting a, an amazing Nickel Bolas as the signature card in Amonkhet, and that that plus Ulamog could end up being the, the reasons to play Marvel. Um, it's also worth pointing out that even though the Sahili Ride combo decks did extremely poorly getting their pilots into Day 2 at the Pro Tour, um, there was a subset of those decks, uh, led by Josh Utter Layton and the guys he was testing with, that... Uh, we're playing Sahili Marvel. So it was Aetherworks Marvel in a Sahili Rai copy, copy cat combo shell. And of the eight people running that deck, six made it to day two. That's a 75% conversion rate, uh, which is very respectable and could be a hint that Marvel has a future. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Jerry Thompson said he really liked his deck, uh, which bodes very well for the strategy. And I, I have said before that I think that despite Mardu Vehicle's uh, dominance of this Pro Tour, that I'm not not convinced that that is going to persist through um, through the following weeks. You know, we'll see how this weekend goes. So I could definitely see a combo-oriented Sahili build uh, really kind of trying to battle the Mardu vehicles and still have a top end to come over uh, green-black. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get there. I'd be happy to. I think I have a couple places that's left. So here's hoping, James. Yeah, I went in on about 20 more copies, just under four, um, hoping to get out around 10 at some point in 2017. So I think that's a reasonably solid play. The um, You know, you would think that now that the control uh, deck players have had a sh- chance to see what the, you know, fine-tuned version of the aggro decks in the format look like they will be able to pick different cards to respond to that and i'm very curious to see how the next couple of tournaments on the scg tour go the same for sure um all right so speaking of uh standard let's uh let's talk about pro tour dublin um the story of this pro tour was undoubtedly the completely unexpected dominance of mardu vehicles the top six places were all Mardu vehicles in the top eight. Uh, won by Lucas Esper Berthoud. Uh, sixth place was PBDDR. Um, then if you look over at the best performing standard decks, um, so these are the standard decks that uh, scored the most points. So the top one is Lucas's deck with 30 points, which means he won 10 games with his standard deck. Um, you look through that list, there are like... 25 decks here and i think 19 of them are mardu or something like that it's like mardu mardu two offs two off decks mardu 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 four off decks mardu 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 i mean it's insane um really just just blew the event out of the water and interestingly it was teams from all over the world that came to this conclusion but not all the teams came to the conclusion which is to say that like something like half the field figured out that Mardu vehicles was a force to be reckoned with. And a bunch of other teams just th- assumed that the vehicles decks were dead in the water. Um, and those are the people <laughs> that by and large did not make day two um, or didn't get very deep. Um, I mean, we had teams from Europe, from Asia and North America all land on Mardu vehicles and bring it to the table. South America as well, right? Because our champion was Brazilian and uh, the Brazilian team did very well. Um, uh, and, uh, certainly interesting to uh, point out the uh, Raphael Levy uh, build, uh, which was uh, a little different than the others. Um, and the, uh, where was the Sultai Delirium Control that was in June Ishihara's uh, hands, um, which was running Ishkana Graf Widow, which was probably a card that was underplayed at the tournament. Um, Tireless Trackers, Torrential Gear Hulk, and a, a copy of Noxious Gear Hulk. Um, alongside Liliana the Last Hope, which if you had, if you knew for a fact how, uh, ever present the Mardu Vehicles decks were going to be, uh, Liliana being able to get rid of all their three ones, um, looks like a card that was also probably brought to the table in numbers that were too little. You know, I, I made the, uh, I made a mistake the other day that, Luckily, that was not public. I was able to edit it out, but apparently other people have made too. Did you realize that this, that, that Mardu deck only has one X1 in it? Like really? most, almost every build, yeah, it's just the three one. Every other creature has two a two butt. You've got Inventor's Apprentice, which is uh is a two three. PNLR is a two two. Scrounger's a three two. Thali's a three two. Thraber Inspector is a one two. And Toolcraft Exemplar is a uh, a two three or a three two. It's I guess it's an X one when it's not your turn. Um, but yeah, there's really very little X ones in this deck, all things considered. Um. Which I guess is a little disappointing for things like Thal, uh, Liliana or Walking Ballista. I mean, a lot of X too is what uh, you know. My kingdom for a pyroclasm. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's a good point actually. And the Toolcraft Exemplar, I guess, is a one-one when you don't have an artifact. But because this thing's running so many artifacts, um, and you can bring Scrap Heap Scrounger back, and it's you know the heart of Kieran's and Aethersphere Harvesters are kind of hard to kill. Um, yeah, I mean that that card is uh, more frequently a three-two. Yeah. Uh, uh, wait, actually, no, 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 no. The Toolcraft Exemplar counts too because it only gets its bonus at the beginning of combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I corrected myself halfway through that sentence. I said that 
exemplar, I guess, counts because it's it's only on the yeah, return. Yeah. Right. So they've got at least eight targets, and it still turns off three. But Inspector, I think Liliana is still looking pretty solid. Um, I mean, the the only thing that really counts against her is that if there's a ton of flying vehicles, they can still knock her out in short order. Right, right. Um, so she's going to be a lot better in the green-black builds that are running Ishkana because then they, they can hold off the, the vehicles. I guess Liliana's pretty funny. I hadn't thought about this till just now. And that she turns off their ability to crew at the very least, right? Like, well, I can't kill you, but I can give you zero or one power, which means you can't sure. crew the vehicle, yep. uh, which you know renders the creatures considerably less useful. Yep. Poten- potentially relevant. Um, there was also some red-black aggro decks running around that did pretty well um, that looked like they could be a real thing moving forward. These were decks running Bowmat Courier, for- Forerunner of Slaughter in a couple of the builds. That's a card we haven't seen um, outside the draft tables. Um, Inventor's Apprentice and Pia Nalar with Scrap Heap Scrounger and Weldfast Engineer um, alongside Incendiary Flows, Shocks, and Unlicensed Disintegration. And then uh, this was one of a few different decks that was also running a couple of copies of Chandra Torch Defiance and another two in the sideboard. So, I mean, potentially if the red-black decks um, take a, a, a more significant uh, position in the metagame, then that level of play for Chandra could make a difference on her price. Yeah, I agree. Forerunner to Slaughter is pretty funny because the way that works... You can play a creature, play a vehicle, crew it with the forerunner, and then for one extra money, give the vehicle haste. So vehicles are already underpriced. You're basically paying a little more real price to give it haste. That's a, that's a funny little. That is a nice little piece of tech, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's clever. Um, you know, when when I look across this list, it's the 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 top performing decks here. I think what jumps out at me is uh, the green black seem to be the second best performing archetype. Um, I mean, by a fairly wide wide margin, admittedly, but it it, is, it has the most uh, places in the top performing decks. The, mostly, the ones we're looking at with the Whining Constrictor, Rishkar, uh, Walking Ballista Core. Um, I, I think there's, a, I think that that's going to be a persistent archetype in this format, uh, at least until we get a new set of Magic cards. Um, so I would not expect to see that disappear, especially because a lot of your local and regional grinders um, are going to be inclined to play a deck that they think is powerful, plays universal answers, and they feel like they can beat up on weaker players with. So I would expect to still see a lot of green-black and local metas. Um, and that's also a deck that has the tools to beat up on uh, copycat. So if the copycat decks kind of find a way to get past the Marty Vehicles decks and and um, and get, regain some metagame, the green-black is still going to be right there to put a lot of pressure on them. So that's a strategy that kind of faded this weekend, but by no stretch of the imagination do I think that that is uh, gone. Yep, valid points. The, uh, the We should also t- touch on the couple of different flavors of green-black de- aggro decks that were brought to the table, which were significantly different than the Delirium decks we've seen earlier in the season, um, although there were still some flavors of Delirium uh, running around some of the top tables through much of the tournament. Um, the decks that seemed to do best were more of the variety that were like four Winding Constrictor, four Walking Ballista, four Verderous Gearhulk, four Rishkar Pima Renegade. And then depending on which direction they chose to go, they might have gone the energy route with Green Belt Ram, uh, Rampager and Long Tusk Cub, uh, which is all sorts of shenanigans if you've got a Winding Constrictor out because you can fool around with uh, moving the Rampager in and out of play to get extra energy um, and then make sure uh, that uh, you don't have to pick it up, right? Because Rampager is a 3-4 for one green. When it enters the battlefield, you pay two pay two energy, and if you can't, you return it to its owner's hand and you get ener- get an energy. So you can, if you've got enough green mana, you can basically pick it up and put it down a bunch of times by siphoning the energy off to Long Tusk Cub. And if you've got uh, the Constrictor in play, then the Cub's getting two counters every time you do that, um, which is a cute little interaction. Um, and and some of these decks just on turn four, five, or six were just going so wide, um, dropping counters all over the board with Gear Hulk or Rishkar um, with a Constrictor already in play. Uh, Constrictor just looked like a creature that had to be killed on site all weekend long. Um, and then the other builds were some of them were running Bristling Hydra even to kind of go like the high end energy route. That's the four three um, for four out of Kaladesh that. Uh, gives you three energy when it enters the battlefield, and you can pay three energy to put a counter on it and give it hexproof until end of turn. So under a constrictor, it goes from a four three to a six five on the first activation of energy, and if you've got bonus energy, it could be an eight seven. Um, a very dangerous threat. Yep, yeah, some really interesting. I think 
and the fringes, some some interesting decks and some interesting strategies. Uh, maybe a little a little less so than I think myself and others may have expected or hoped for. Um, there were a lot of cool strategies that didn't seem to make it anywhere. You know, there's no Panharmonicon, for instance, pretty much anywhere. I think there was like one Jeskai deck that played a copy of it. Who cares? Uh, but you know, no real. Well, go ahead. Well, I mean, and the first spike of the weekend was inspiring statuary and related cards on whispers coming from uh, a few different sources in Europe that were talking about uh, 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 a run on those cards um, at the tournament center. And people started buying up inspiring statuary left, right, and center, and then it never made it on camera all weekend. There was uh, a deck that uh, I think finished... Uh, geez, I forget what the record was. It was pretty good, uh, but not good enough to make it into the top 24, I believe. That was like a white-blue build um, built around um, uh, Ether Flux Reservoir. Um, and there were other versions that looked like they were trying to leverage Paradoxical Outcome um, to do kind of like the the Storm version. And there was also improvised decks in Grixis colors that were running around, but uh, and a couple made it today too, but it just none of it made a big enough splash to have any kind of financial matter. No, these Mardu vehicles decks, I think, just picked them apart before they could get anywhere. Uh, you know, between Mardu was just being so fast and Green Black having so much power packed into its cards, it just shredded everything uh, exciting. So hopefully, some of that stuff can kind of find its own. Um, at the very least, you can play it at your F and M. Goods for the time being, it doesn't look like it looks like this is going to be a pretty vicious uh, metagame in standard. Not a lot of room to be goofing around. Yeah, it did not feel like a weekend you wanted to be dirtling. Um, no. The other deck that caught my eye that d- did do relatively well uh, on 24 points, so that's, what, 8 and 2, um, was uh, Pascal Maynard playing uh, Celestia Tokens. Uh, this was Archangel Avacyn, Lamholt Paf- Pacifist, Rishkar Pima Renegade, Thraben Inspector, Toolcraft Exemplar, and Walking Ballista. So similar to the green-black deck in a lot of ways, but they focus on the white instead of the black so that they can run four copies main of Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, which was still a strong card on camera all weekend long. They run the the kind of ubiquitous four heart of K- Kieran as well, alongside Nisa Voices Zendikar. And because they're running the seven planeswalkers they actually have a much better chance of being able to do the uh crew attack uh and then crew block off the planeswalker counter thing yeah i i expect that these martyr decks are going to have to scale up a little bit to give themselves some more power to contend with the uh the hate that i'm sure just guy decks are going to be showing up with um preying on all those x2s because uh Kozlux return is looking real tasty right now um so okay. uh, do you want right to move into segment four here yeah let's uh let's okay. talk a little bit about uh just a couple of updates for people uh, a little a few notes and then we'll move on to modern masters 2017 predictions as our topic of the week um so the first thing i wanted to say was that i am uh exiting five thousand us dollars worth of magic online investment this week uh, a decision that I came from uh, mostly about uh, money that I'm managing for other people, where I just don't feel comfortable um, given the lack of information about what form uh, Magic uh, Digital Next will take. Um, there was an announcement uh, during the Hasbro earnings report early in the week that suggested that that platform could be released as early as the end of the year. Now, given the track record we've seen from uh, Wizards before, that could mean that it comes out in 2026, 2027, um, or they could finally get their act together and it, it could land in October. Um, and without having more detail on that platform, um, I, I think the risk profile of, you know, expansive Magic Online investment is just too high, especially given that there are many better options right now. Um, so I'm exiting most of the tickets I was managing for other people, unwinding that over the course of this month. And of my own uh, Magic Online investments and collection, I'll probably be getting rid of like two thirds over the next couple of weeks. That's a pretty big sell off for you. Uh, that's a lot of, uh, <laughs> and fortunately I have good targets for that. Um, speaking of which, um, European arbitrage that we started talking about about a month ago is, uh, panning out very well for both of us. Um, Travis and I are talking about this on a semi-regular basis and, and making moves, uh, via our contacts in Europe that we set up, which have been very worthwhile. 
all sorts of underpriced cards over in Europe. And the weird thing is it's, um, you know, definitely there's a focus on uh, casual cards, um, high value casual cards, uh, EDH cards that seem to be in less demand over there um, and have deeper inventory pools. But there's also just a random assortment of like modern and legacy and, and vintage staples that are just some of the prices are just way out of whack. Um, and part of this has to be price memory related to when the currencies were uh, further apart. You know, the, the euro was up to $1.60 um, versus the US dollar at one point, and it now is sitting much closer to $1.10. And, you know, sometimes it takes a long time for prices to adjust um, in alternate markets, especially because uh, MKM, which is the main site over there, can't, uh, the vendors on that site can't easily sell through that platform to anybody outside of Europe. Um, so, you know, there's a couple of hoops you have to jump through as we've talked about in the past, but, um, I think suffice to say, you and I are pretty happy with where that's headed. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it certainly seems to be a pretty good market if you have the time, connections, resources, and, and knowledge to get involved in it. Um, if you're, you know, if you're pretty in, intense, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, but it is, it, you know, it is worth pointing out this is not for the faint of heart at all. Um, James and I are, are just looking at getting some of our first orders in. So I'm excited about where it's going to go and some of the opportunities. Uh, I, I'm not too worried about people flocking to it just because it's such a, I guess, a dense um a dense process, you know, the guy sitting in front of his computer in Washington can't hop on and just empty out cheap cards. You know, you really have to have a process for it. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the, the prices are scattershot. You know, I look at some of them and I'm like, well, this is more expensive than the American over in America. And I have no idea why. Uh, but then a very similar card is, um, you know, a third of the price or something like that. So it's, it's really all over the place. Uh, and I, I'm happy with where it's gone so far. So hopefully there'll be some, continued payoffs in that realm yeah i mean i got my first order of masterpiece soul rings uh chromatic lanterns and a couple of mana crypts this week um from the uk and they all showed up looking lovely and you know could easily be sold now for profit if you're willing to sit on them for a little longer uh even better um, and you're right, it's totally a process in the sense that you have to track down a contact. Um, you need to do your research to figure out what your targets are. And it's also not a small ball kind of play. Like if you're looking to pick up dollar, like four copies of a dollar card, then don't even, this is not for you. This is for if you want to put in like three or four hundred dollars um, and pick up a bunch of 50 or hundred dollar cards that are going to make you 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars a copy over the course of a year. Um, yeah, I I would say that it is not even worth thinking about this if you're not willing to throw $500 at it. It's not worth the time and the effort otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think you could, you could if you're just a card, your $150 card, I could, you know, make a short list of $150 cards you could get for 100 over there um, that might be worth the effort if it if you happen to know somebody over there that can take a package for you and then bounce it your way. Um, but certainly once you get up over 500, things like the shipping, the extra shipping expense uh, in Europe, which is significantly higher than it is here, um, starts to really smooth out and then it gets very attractive. Sure. I, you know, if you have, if you already know somebody that lives in Europe that you can work with, that you trust, that's, that's a different story. Cause you've kind of already got that first um, connection established. Um, but okay, let's let's move into the Modern Masters 2017 because this is coming up really soon. Uh, the official release date of this is in March. Um, I don't have the date in front of me. I didn't take the look, look at it. I've been really bad about looking stuff up before we start talking about it tonight. Um, but Modern Masters 2017 is coming soon. Uh, spoilers have to be within the next, I think, three or four weeks. Uh, a month at the most, I would say. Um, yeah, release, you know, release date just, is release date's March 17th, 2017. Um, so five weeks so about from a now, month then, right? So we're yeah. probably getting spoilers soonish here, like two, two, three weeks. Yeah, I, you know, we might see a couple of them leak out, um, and then I, you know, normally if we're on the two week, uh, the two week plan before release date, that puts us in early March, which is you know about a week into March, which is right now. So about a month, four weeks. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff. I think James, you and I are both pretty locked on Snapcaster and Liliana the Veil, uh, at least confident enough to want to own zero of those heading yeah. into <laughs> heading into this. Um, I already ditched all of my copies. I think that I have, or, or at least most of them. I would encourage you to get rid of everything that you don't own the original that you don't that you're not keeping for personal play sites, and even then, you might want to think about it. I even got rid of my personal Lilianas because I don't need them right now. You know, the chances that she is isn't printed is low enough that i'm comfortable eating a price hike 
um, if she doesn't end up in the set. Yeah, I think that for Liliana, I I think it's a lock. Um, I think it's the Banner Mythic. I think it being the Banner Mythic probably means we're not getting Tarmogoyf. Um, so if you're looking for go- Goyfs, this might be a, a good time. Although the presence of Fatal Push makes Goyf a little worse in modern. Um, uh, and I think it will use the original art for Liliana. Um, uh, it's iconic. There's no reason to change it. Um, Snapcaster Mage, on the other hand, I think is also a definite include. But I'm very... Uh, uncertain as to which art they will use. Um, the promo art is widely regarded as being poor. Um, uh, that was the, was it RPTQ Snapcaster Mage or? Yeah. Um, I, lots of people don't like that art. Um, and the original art is, uh, definitely also iconic. So it's unclear whether they might, uh, give us new art completely. Then it would really depend, the value of, say, original pack foils would strongly depend on whether the new art was superior. Um, judge foil force of wills, for instance, have suffered in the face of the excellent new Therese Nielsen art in Eternal Masters. I'm inclined to say that we are going to see a new art. Um, one, because the old Snapcaster is invitational art. It is Tiago Chan, and they have shown that they are not wild about reprinting invitational art card art so it could happen but i wouldn't hold my breath the second most likely um thing is that they reuse the rptq art but it was very generic it it's not so much bad art as it just felt very generic um that to me reeks of well we don't have anything on hand to use for this and we don't want to use the invitational art so we're just going to take something from the file that's left over that we have the rights to and stick that on the card and now that we're getting a full release of a of the samcaster again this is where they might roll out new art especially for such a banner card right like this is going to be one of the the most visually uh, enticing cards in the set, if not necessarily the most expensive. Um, So I think that we do get a new art on Snapcaster. Yeah, I think that's a solid argument. Um, Continuing on the list of cards, I don't want to be caught holding that are already high enough to that I'm happy selling uh, in advance of these announcements. Glimpse the Unthinkable as kind of, you know, the best mill card of all time uh, is has never been reprinted. It's from Ravnica Block. That's over a decade ago. Um, that could be an easy include here. That's a, what, a $30 rare. Um, it would go sub $10 if it was reprinted in Modern Masters 2017. Yeah, that price is just going to crater if that shows up as a rare. Yeah. Um, also looking at potentially, I, I think we can both agree, no Zen fetches, right? Yeah, I am. I have... Since they first announced Modern Masters, the very first one in 2013, I'm like, they're not putting monofixing land cycles in the in this set, right? Like, it's not what this is for. Those sell those sell fall sets. That's this doesn't need the help. Uh, it doesn't put enough copies in the market. There are infinite number of reasons that they're not putting these in, and I'm holding by that argument on this one. I it is a one percent chance that these show up that any type of land like that shows up in a modern master set. What I do think when show up, uh, is, uh, the worldwide creature lands are like a maybe, but even then I'm really not married to those. I still think that that's too much of a cycle. I think we see, um, a handful of, uh, like utility or specific lands, um, similar to what we've seen in the past. So like ink moth nexus, cavern of souls, uh, you know, maybe one other one, maybe they'd reprint Blink, Blink Moth Nexus or something like that. But like a small handful, three to five rare lands uh, that do stuff, but that aren't really about mana fixing. I think that's what you're going to see. Yeah. So when you were talking about the World Wake creature lands, you're talking about Celestial Colonnade, Creeping Tar Pit, Raging Ravine, etc. Yeah. Yep, those are from the original Zendikar block, but they are not from Zendikar itself. Zendikar had the fetch lands, World Wake had the man lands. Yeah, and Celestial Colonnade and Creeping Tar Pit both need a reprint. Colonnade's about 25 bucks. Creeping Tar Pit's at like 18 Um Boy, those were nice pickups back when they were at their lows. And, oh uh, my, yes. <laughs> along with most of Zendikar. And yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I could, I could see those show up as a cycle, potentially, or maybe just a few of them. Um, Cavern of Souls is certainly on the table, but given its price tag, it really depends on what else um, makes it in. 
all of the things on this list can't all be printed in the same set because the expected value of the set would be too high. Um, and then the boxes will be a ridiculous uh, price, which is not what they're where they've been headed with this series so far. But Cavern of Souls definitely needs a reprint. So this is this is definitely the imminent potential home. And it was enough to get me to sell them um, out of my Legacy Slivers deck I never get a chance to play um, on the premise that I will... Uh, get some chance to pick them up if not here somewhere in the next year or two cavern will finally get reprinted i think that's a really good point that can be easily overlooked in a lot of the discussions about what will and won't show up is that they can't put that much value into this box there has to be some amount right like you know we had tarmogoyths and chalice of the voids and all that type of thing and the first modern masters was pretty stacked uh but you know they can't put seven hundred eight hundred dollars worth of value into a two hundred dollar box um that would not have the desired effect uh so you're absolutely right you know we can't have snapcaster and liliana and cavern and you know blood moon and damnation right like it's just too much uh they have to make cuts somewhere so um and and yet- just something to keep in mind when you're when you're brainstorming what you might see yeah and i think the key point is that cards like Liliana, Snapcaster, Glimpse, Cavern, Blood Moon, Damnation are all at, I think, local peaks. Even if they're not reprinted, they are unlikely to see a huge bump because you you aren't seeing upward motion on these cards of, of, of strong significance. Um, and we haven't all through the, the prior year. And usually you get like at least a six month comfort zone before which price would have moved normally even if people knew a reprint was more was potential uh, for next spring and so you know the the premise that you have to kind of guess uh which cards to hold and which ones to sell um is probably not accurate here i think you can just go ahead and sell whatever you don't need out of this list um and some of them you're going to get a chance to rebuy uh cheaper and if you know they don't reprint blood moon because it's the kind of card they might want to ban a little further down the road um to shake up modern um, then no big deal. I, I don't think Blood Moon's going to see some kind of huge bump. And if you want to get on top of those kind of situations, you just need to keep an eye on the inventory. Um, if the inventory of the card is relatively low heading into the announcement season, that I'd be more likely to hold on to the card. If the inventory level is relatively deep, um, either because it's seen multiple printings before, in the case of something like a Chalice of the Void or an Engineer Explosives, you know, two artifacts that we said might be in here again that were both in Modern Masters 2013 and are both high enough that they're in need of a reprint. Um, you know, the, you know, the stuff that is, um, already low has the best chance of popping if it's not printed, is my point. Yeah, I agree with that. And really, you could look at this list of cards that we've discussed here, and you could sell your personal copies of every single one of these, and then watch the spoilers. And then the day that the full spoiler goes up, any that weren't included, like, so if you sold your copies of these 15 cards uh, now, and then the day the spoiler goes up, you go, okay, 13 of them were reprinted, or well, the, you know, eight of them were reprinted, five of them weren't, just buy back the five cards that you sold immediately. So you're paying basically what you close to what you sold them for. And the other eight cards are going to crater in value. So, you know, even if you end up losing a little bit of money on like selling blood moons and then having to buy them right back, like the amount of money that you are saving by not losing it on things like Snapcaster, Liliana, or or that other stuff is, uh, is definitely worth it. I would say this is the kind of set I want to be proactive on. I don't want to be caught holding a bunch of stuff. I I also got out of Stony Silence. I had like twenty or thirty copies uh, uh, stashed away from Eldrazi Winter when Affinity was like the only deck in Modern that could go toe to toe with Eldrazi, and it looked like it would be the dominant deck once Eldrazi was banned. And then the format got all sorts of kinds of diverse, and Affinity wasn't as as strong as Death Shadow Aggro or Infect. And they Stony's cathartic reunion. <laughs> yeah, and, and and Stony Silence just kind of backslid down into the seven or eight dollar range where I got them from the twelve or thirteen dollar range I should have sold them at. And uh, yeah, get out of those cards. Stony Silence is is very likely to appear here um, and craters to two or three dollars on that action. I think. Yeah, I mean, it could even be less than that. The print run on Modern Masters 2015 was pretty large. And, you know, the Commander decks keep getting larger and larger print runs. So we could see them push Modern Masters a little harder, too. Uh, you know, especially because you consider the Eternal Masters print run was basically larger than it was supposed to be, um, or at least larger than they 
uh, it was out it outpaced demand. It would seem. Um, so if they put Modern Masters 2017 on the same print schedule as Eternal Masters, we could end up with more than uh, we need. Yeah, the, which would drive those prices into the ground. The the other thing to keep in mind is the that the glory days of buying these quote unquote limited edition sets. Um, in say Japanese, because this one's coming out in English, Chinese, simplified, and Japanese again. Um, it, it, I, I'm not excited because <laughs> with Eternal Masters, they did that whole re-release near Christmas where every vendor in the U.S. got a bunch of Japanese boxes as part of their order, and those are going to end up making you money, but only if you bought them the second time they came out. The, if you bought them at $400 last spring, you're probably pretty upset that other people got them at 180 in December. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you, uh, both in the pain and also with the advice. Uh, you know, it would seem that with Wizards releases here, buy the first of a product that comes out and buy a bunch of it, and then don't buy any more after that. You should have bought a bunch of Modern Masters, uh, but then have not bought 2015. You should have bought a bunch of the first Commander set, um, and then not really as many after that. Uh, <clears throat> you probably would stand to have gained if you had bought the first plane chase set um so basically when they come out with these it really seems like your best bet is to, to to go hard on the first release and avoid them after that they just make them more and more oh the sdcc sets as well the first planeswalker set is quite pricey but all the other ones are, are less so yeah uh, but yeah I, i'm not i'm not buying any sealed product and i highly recommend that you skip it as well uh you know these are big ticket items um and it would be easy to burn hundreds of dollars on this yeah, if you aren't careful, and it's just not worth the risk. Yeah, I, I just don't like where the the potential for you know the the boxes showing up again six months later plays out. And my experience has been that when these spike, it's a, more than a year after. Um, you know, they tend to be high on whatever the hype curve is. You know, if we get a bunch of cool cards announced right up front, then the pre order prices will be high. As the release weekend plays out, the prices will crater on eBay and you'll get your best uh, uh, purchasing opportunities in the near term. But then like you're going to have more you're going to have the six month window before those those prices climb much higher. Um, and if they push them out again near Christmas, that's probably the, the buy in point for sealed product if you really want some. Yeah, for sure. All right. We've been going for over a little over an hour here, so we should probably wrap this up. Uh, I do have to get this episode edited and posted tonight. So uh, where can our listeners find you, James? You, you guys can find me, as usual, on Twitter at mtgcritic.com, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com, including if you missed the Pro Tour last weekend, I have three or four back-to-back articles from Friday through Sunday covering the entire Pro Tour weekend, uh, including a top eight uh, deck analysis that uh, runs through the breakdown of all the most played cards. So head over there to check that out. Um, Travis wrote, wrote wrote a Watchtower uh, article on Monday talking about um, some cards you should have your eye on. Um, where can they find you, Travis? Well, uh, I'm on Twitter over on Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, like James said, every Monday on MTG Price. I do uh, also do the Cartel Aristocrats webcast most Mondays. And uh, if you like playing magic, find events in your area on scry.land. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us to uh, to an end of another, another strong episode here, James. I enjoyed our conversations. Uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Travis, and I'll see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.